Hi, welcome back to Hike. I'm your host, Lori. In today's episode, I'm bringing you Paul, also known as Pi. We are going to chat about his adventures on the West Coast in the Sierra and how he pieced together four different routes in a hiking adventure. He's also a filmmaker, so we'll talk a little bit about that in the episode as well. But I am super excited to bring you a look at the Sierra High Routes. And it's a place that I've just had a little bit of time in. And that was only in the front country areas of the Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks. So it's a place that I would love to hike more in. So it was really cool to hear Paul's story of route finding as he went on this adventure with others. So let's take a listen to my conversation with Paul. So I'm here with Paul Ingram, also known as Trail Name Pie. Nice to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Pleasure, pleasure to be on. Yes. So where are you calling from today? I know there's quite a time difference between us. There is. Yeah, I'm from the UK. So I grew up just outside London. Um, but I've been living in Helsinki, Finland now for like 10 years. So Oh, wow. That's home. So it's uh, 3 p.m. in the afternoon here. Pretty different from where you are at. Yeah, so it's at 8 a.m., but I'm an early bird, so that that's cool. We just did, uh, we fell back. We did this crazy, you know, daylight savings time thing here. <laughs> yeah, we just did that last week. So I, I guess we do it like one week before you guys do. So. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. so um, so tell me a little bit about, I guess, how you got into backpacking and, uh, you know, your backstory. Hmm. So I really didn't do that much backpacking and hiking until kind of my mid or early to mid 20s. Um, I grew up very much like a suburban kid on the outskirts of London, worked, did the, did the whole education thing, worked for a few years in, the Lon- in London, kind of suit and tie, and then went off traveling uh, for a few years. And that kind of was the beginning of, beginning of it all. Um, I was working at a summer camp in upstate New York actually. Um, I did that uh, two summers in a row. So I was doing like the camp counselor thing. Um, And we took the kids out on the Appalachian Trail for like three or four days. And that was my kind of real first experience of kind of like longer backpacking trips. Met a couple of through hikers, I guess it was kind of summertime. So there were still some like through hikers moving through that area. And I kind of got chatting to them and kind of I was like wow like I didn't even know it was a thing you know like being from just outside London and then thinking that you can spend six months in the woods hiking you know 20 miles a day or whatever it just sounded crazy to me but I thought well maybe one day like maybe kind of put it on the back burner for a while and did a bunch of traveling and some sort of shorter hikes and then in 2015 I was like okay maybe now's the time to do the AT kind of wondering if I could even do it and yeah, that was that was the first long trip, and there's been a few since. So. And so you got hooked. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. It was funny. I was I was kind of reminiscing on it a little bit, and like with the Appalachian Trail, it was like an amazing experience. It really kind of changed my life. But then it wasn't until the Continental Divide Trail in 2017 where I would really say then I got hooked. 
um, because the AT was just an incredible experience. But then when I got out west and kind of saw what like these big open vistas, like the Rocky Mountains and all that stuff, that was when I was like, okay, this is something I kind of want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah, I, when I tend to talk to through hikers, they say, you know, the AT, a lot of times it's their first, you know, exposure to long distance hiking. And it's quite, you know, well, there's a well mapped out, follow the white blazes, and you have a lot of social aspect to it, quite different than the, the CDT, which sometimes it's kind of choose your own adventure and, uh, and not as, as populated of course, then you're going through a whole different terrain. Was there a bit of a shock at all? Like, wow, this, you know, this is not, uh, this is not what I was introduced to. It was, it was a very different experience. Of course, on the, you know, you know, wake up in the morning, pack up your gear and you hike all day and then you kind of rinse and repeat that for however many months. But it was a, just a very, very different experience. You can't really compare the two. Obviously, yeah, as you said, the social element on the Appalachian Trail is, is for me, that was probably the, the best part about the whole experience, especially just being a foreigner kind of in the US and kind of diving deeper into American culture and kind of just being out there. But then, yeah, on the CDT, we were actually a fairly large group. We were, were a group of kind of like pre-existing friends. So we actually started, I want to say that there was maybe seven of us like heading out all at the same time which is pretty rare on the cdt but apart from our group we didn't meet that many other through hikers of course we met some but just a very different experience to the at where you're constantly running into people um, whether that's other through hikers or section hikers or day hikers or people just walking their dog like you don't have that really on the cdt obviously certain sections like the busier sections of the cdt yeah but and the AT is, you know, there's a, it's well known for trail magic and, you know, trail days and, and that community. So mm. the seven of you did uh, the CDT. Was it people you had met on the AT as well or just from all over in your travels? Uh, it was kind of a combination. So uh, it was people that I'd hiked the AT with, that I'd met on the AT because I headed out solo on the AT and just like made a trail family. Um, so it was some of us that had done the AT originally. Some of those guys did the PCT um, in 2016, and I didn't hike the PCT with them. So it was also some of their friends that they met on the PCT. So it's kind of like an extended trail family. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the, I was going to ask you about that. You know, did you did you skip over the PCT? And uh, you know, because for you know, there's kind of this ABC element to long distance hiking and the triple crown and everything. We'll start with AT, do the PCT next, and then, you know, do the hard one last. Mm -hmm. I guess doing the CDT and, and you said it was in 2017. Um, what, what was next for you? Like, how did you then decide, uh, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing these trails. Mm. Well, I, I, Basically, I didn't do the PCT when my trail family did it in 2016, but that was mainly just a, from a standpoint of like, I want to take the year off, like financially and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm glad that I took the break. Um, and the way it worked out where I did the AT, then the CDT, I'm really happy that I have the PCT to do because, of course, it's an amazing thing to look forward to. 
but I don't feel any major pressure to do it immediately. I can push it off 10 years, 20 years potentially. Um, but yeah, the CDT just really reaffirmed that I want to spend a lot of my life kind of outside and seeing these kind of crazy, crazy places. So kind of the same thing happened 2018, didn't do a huge amount of hiking, just sort of local stuff here in Finland and some shorter trips. But then 2019, it was kind of the, 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 how would I put it? Um, look, it was calling to me. The trail, I guess, was like calling to me. And two friends had a trip kind of lined up for the Sierra, um, which is what we ended up going to do in 2019. So I did like 400 plus mile through the Sierra on the, on the high routes. So tell me a little bit about uh, that area and what mm. appealed to you. And, you know, where did you start? Where did you, you know, end the trip and, and that? And, and I guess more about, like, how did you even plan for it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, those two, uh, the, the guys I hiked that trip with, uh, my good buddy, Cheesebeard, Josh Tippett, um, we had done the AT together, we'd done the CDT together. So we had a really good, strong bond and kind of a trust in each other. <clears throat> but in 2018, he had done a pretty crazy um, off-trail route that he had planned, um, and that was all through uh, Yellowstone, the Yellowstone Basin. Um, so he had already had this kind of experience of planning a route and, and laying a GPS track down. <clears throat> and then Sonic, who we also hiked it with, she had similar experience. Um, so the planning and the logistics was pretty much left up to those guys. So I got pretty lucky. I you know, thought about what gear I was going to take, kind of had a rough outline of what we were going to be doing, but they were like, okay, this is it. Here's the GPS track. Here's our waypoints. And this is kind of what we're doing. But <clears throat> yeah, very, very different experience um, because we hiked um, the Kings Canyon high basin route, the Sierra high, the high, sorry, the high Sierra trail, the Southern Sierra high route and the Sierra high route back to back to back to back. Um, so it was over the course of about five weeks um, and we started off with what I would, yeah, I mean, I would definitely consider the Kings Canyon High Basin route the hardest, um, which is a route that, Steve, uh, that Andrew Skirka put together. It was an absolute trial by fire. Um, we were living at sea level here and went straight up to like 10,000 feet on day one. Oh, did um, you deal with some um, altitude sickness, anyone, the three of you? We we didn't. Um, we, we we never really got sick, but it just was really hard those first couple of days. Um, pretty dizzy. You would take like a hundred steps and then have to take a break. It didn't really help that it was um, probably close to a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. Um, it was super warm, straight uphill, really really burly hiking. And I'd done some burly hiking on the CDT. But this this series of high routes that flew the Sierra is by far the hardest thing I've ever done, even to this day. Um, yeah, because this is it's not blazed. I mean, like you said, you're following you know GPX tracks and and I mean, were those spot on or did you you know have to like vary things and make some seat of your pants type? I mean, you know, thought out decisions in the moment. Yeah. Um, well, apart from the High Sierra Trail is kind of similar to the Muir Trail, which is obviously through that area. So it is blazed very well. Um, you know, there's proper trail maintenance done. 
But then the other three, it's a combination of off-trail travel and on-trail travel. So using the JMT in certain sections. Um, but it was the first time for me doing any real serious off-trail hiking. And it's a very different experience. You can't just sort of put your head down and go. You are constantly checking the navigation, um, looking at waypoints, and then, you know, you have waypoints on a, on a GPS, but then you're looking at the environment and saying, okay, we need to get between that peak and that peak. There's no exact way up there, um, but we that's that's where we're going. Better, better get on with it kind of thing. So it's a very different experience. Yeah. How did your backpacking change from 2015 from the AT on? Because you've also kind of got into an ultralight um, backpacking, right? So how, mm-hmm. did did that change through the years, or did you start out um, with that, you know, thinking? Well, I actually, it's it's really kind of strange and the opposite of what most people do. Before I did the Appalachian Trail, it was very much kind of a bigger, heavier backpack, just kind of using gear that was borrowed or kind of all a little bit, you know, with a little bit less of a financial investment. But then when I knew that I wanted to go do the AT, I'm in terms of gear, like I'm an absolute gear nerd. So I'd done kind of all the research building up to the trip. Um, so my pack was actually lighter on the Appalachian Trail than it's been on any of the other hikes that I've done um, because my, my my gear list was like pretty dialed in for the Appalachian Trail um, and I was only using an iPhone as a camera. But now as things have progressed, I'm carrying a big camera, um, maybe a tripod, spare batteries, maybe a different lens, sometimes a drone. So my my general gear list is more or less the same, but I'm adding in like five or six pounds of camera gear, which I do not recommend most people do. Um, but I'm doing the YouTube thing and photography and stuff like that. So for me, it's part of the experience. But in in relation to the Sierra trip, um, pretty pretty standard setup that you would have, for example, for a through hiking setup. Um, not crazy ultra light, but lightweight. Uh, ignore the camera equipment um but then yeah bear canister um and micro spikes and an ice axe um which is obviously not standard on kind of a through hiking setup otherwise that's pretty 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 standard yeah yeah those are there's situations you're going to get into on those west coast routes that is quite different than East Coast hiking, um, I guess, during the hiking season, because you were mentioning the ice axe, um, the crampons or micro spikes. Weather can get pretty wild uh, through that area. Did you encounter any, um, you know, storms or any situations? How you were mentioning when you started out about the hundred degrees, but what was the variation of the the weather in your terrain? Yeah, it was it was basically one extreme to the other. So, uh, like it was a roller coaster. It's a roller like most hikes, like long hikes like that. It's kind of an emotional roller coaster. But the high route trip was literally a roller coaster. You know, crazy steep uphills, crazy steep downhills, and then a little bit of rolling terrain. Um, but then also a roller coaster in terms of like the weather and the conditions because it started out really hot really dry of course that's one thing that's nice about hiking out west it's, there's 
relatively no humidity compared to the AT. Like when I was on the Appalachian Trail, the humidity killed me. It like it was really hard to deal with. Um, but yeah, out west, um, the Sierra trip, very hot at the beginning. And we caught the tail end of the mosquitoes, but that was very dependent on specifically where we were, where we were camping. Um, and then as the trip progressed, it just got colder and colder because we were hiking August and September. Um, but we had started a little bit later than most people might be in that area just because there'd been a lot of snow. So we wanted to try and give it as much time to melt out as possible, which worked out well, but it just meant towards the end of the trip, it was very cold. So we had a few nights well below freezing and frozen water bottles and frost on top of the sleeping bag and that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> not a lot of rain. The Sierra really just doesn't get that much rain at all, which is great because I don't think many people enjoy hiking in the rain. Um, but then right at the end, we had one snowstorm, um, which was actually um, we finished with the Sierra high route. Um, and we had one pretty good snowstorm. And we just, we were already wet. We were already cold. We'd been up in the mountains already for already a month at that point. Um, and it was enough that we actually backtracked. Um, we kind of took a different trail back to the town that we'd just left, um, stayed in town for a night, dried out all our gear, and we kept an eye on the, the weather forecast and it was going to be really bad in that area for a few days. So we ended up kind of skipping forward we hitchhiked forward and we started again in Tuolumne Meadows so in Yosemite and continuing on so we did miss like two or three days of the Sierra high route which we were disappointed about at the time but I think it was the best decision because it would have been I don't know if it would have been dangerous but it would have been really miserable we wouldn't have had much fun so oh that's uh, you know a key thing to consider when you're hiking you know sometimes we get caught up in this we have to do every step, every mile, every, every waypoint, you know, uh, you know, or else it's not the hike, but uh, safety and making those calculated decisions are really the best thing to do because uh, you don't know, like, you know, you don't want to get yourself into that kind of situation. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, many people may have just pushed on in that kind of situation and put their head down and got on with it. But you never know what's going to happen in those conditions. It could turn worse. It could get even worse. And then you're in a situation where you're in real trouble. Fortunately, I've never, well, never been quite in the position where I feel like, okay, I'm really at risk now, but I've kind of pushed the limits enough to know when to back down off of something. And maybe, you know, just you learn from those experiences, I think. Um, but yeah, there's no point in my opinion, there's no point pushing it so hard that it becomes dangerous or that you're just not having fun anymore. Of course, there's sections where you just have to just push through. You're going to have a bad day here and there. But yeah, I do this for fun. So it should be fun. And were the three <laughs> of you uh, kind of all in sync on that, you know, that you didn't really feel like you had to, you know, when you hike together, you can pick up on those signals and understand how each other are feeling and and mm. uh, and have that, I guess, uh, nonverbal communication. How How is it with your partners? Mm. So it actually, the way it worked out towards the end of the trip, trip, Josh actually had to get off trail. He had to head back home for some visa stuff. 
Um, but it ended up being me and Sonic and then a guy that we actually met who was solo hiking the Sierra High route, but we'd already been hiking with him for about four or five days. So we'd already kind of formed a, a bond. Um, but we were all absolutely in agreement that that was the best decision in that moment. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess obviously if you, you you tackle something like that and you head out there completely solo, then of course you have that freedom to make the decision as a as a solo hiker. I'm going to push through this. I'm going to keep going. Or no, I'm bailing. I'm I'm not willing to put myself through this. But I guess when you're tackling something as a small group, then of course it's a case of like having a conversation and kind of, you know, if one person's really struggling then hopefully the group will listen to that and come up with a plan that's like appropriate for everyone. But we didn't even need to talk about it. We were just like, no, this is miserable. It's going to be miserable. Let's go back to town and get pizza and a hotel room. So yeah. 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 Warm food, warm bed. Like what's, big, what's there to think about? It makes the food. <laughs> Um, so I'm trying to visualize, uh, you said there was the four sections, uh, did it end up being like a large loop? Was it point to point? Hmm. It's, um, how would I describe it? It's essentially, it was a giant reverse C or like a J. Okay. Kind of, yeah, we hiked essentially southbound and then northbound, um, and there were certain areas on the routes where we kind of hiked the same section a few times because they overlapped, but it wasn't, um, we weren't necessarily going out there to hike every single step of every single trail or route. We were kind of just linking them all together um, and, and, and allowing for some flexibility that like, hey, like this is this is meant to be fun. We're out here for a month or so and yeah, yeah. How did you plan on like resupplies and, and things like that, especially considering such the the different um, terrain or different temperatures and stuff? Did you just bring things with you and then resupply with food? Did you mail it ahead or have people that were helping you? Yeah, um, we pretty much did it kind of the through hiker way of like carrying three to four to five to six days worth of food, uh, depending on the section. Um, then get into some sort of trailhead where we could hitch to town, go to the grocery store and resupply. I'm trying to think, did we ship any boxes to ourselves? I don't think we did. I think we basically just did kind of like town resupplies. Um, and I know that there was a, at least two or three sections where we were carrying six days of food um, because obviously the nature of these high routes, it might be very difficult to even get to a trail to get to a trailhead to get to a town so we had a few really long carries and six days of food's heavy not not super fun um but it just logistically it just worked out that way what about um, water how are you was was there water was water plentiful were you yeah, it, it really was i think um obviously certain sections you maybe need to pay a little bit more attention but generally speaking there's a lot of a lot of water um the snow melt you know, there's a lot of snow melt in that area and the, the lakes and streams. Um, so water was never really an issue for us. You were talking about the snow melt, which made me think about, uh, you know, fording some of those streams and different things. Did you, were there any kind of rough crossings? Um, did you have to pay attention to, to those? There was 
basically just one and it was it was it was really bad it was it was pretty um intense it was on the king's canyon high basin route which is just by far of those four like the most burly um it was right at the beginning of our trip i think it was on maybe day two and i have footage of it and and sonic basically we we, we had to just cross this river um, but there's no specific spot to say hey cross here we're following kind of gps waypoint so you're, you're obviously just figuring it out like we need to go here and we kept checking the river river every you know i don't know a few hundred feet and it was just really moving quickly um it wouldn't have been safe to cross but there was a down tree across it um and we decided that that was going to be the best option so i have footage of sonic climbing up on this down tree crawling hands and hands and on her knees with a pack on crawling across the log with maybe a three or four foot drop underneath the log and then the water is just like crazy white water underneath so uh the footage really captures it pretty well that like if she'd have fallen if we'd have fallen we'd have been in trouble um, but yeah, we didn't actually walk through it. We managed to go over on the on the log, but it was scary. It was only that one, um, but the rest were pretty good, I guess, because of the time of the year. I guess earlier in the summer when the snow melt is is uh, you know kind of at its peak, and then it's a little bit worse. But... Yeah. So um, I've been to Kings Canyon and have, and that was like in late June, and so I have seen like that water that. I have mm. never seen water that crazy before just rushing through and it, yeah. So it's very powerful. So I can only, uh, imagine, uh, mm. how, how scary that was. I'll have to find uh, the links to your, to the video on your uh, YouTube. Definitely, yes. Definitely. Yes. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's no joke. Foods mm -hmm. have to be taken seriously. So what about your camping situation? Um, what kind of tent to use? Depends a little bit on the trip. Um, generally speaking, though, I lean towards just kind of single wall, fully enclosed, like trekking pole tents. Mm -hmm. um, I've experimented with tarps and kind of um, floorless pyramid tents that go up with a trekking pole. But I usually just come back to like a fully enclosed a single wall tent it's light enough for me um, and I just find that's usually very versatile if the weather's really bad you get good protection um, and then if bugs are bad then also you have good protection so generally yeah just like a little lightweight silver nylon tent or maybe like a Dyneema kind of okay. tent. I do hear about people cowboy camping out there in the west so where did mm. <laughs> that was well, I do, I do really enjoy cowboy camping. We did it a, a massive amount on the CDT because the conditions allowed for it. And we did it, we did do it in the Sierra a good bit, um, but it just really, really depended on that kind of night. Like, was there going to be bugs? Was it going to be cold? Because um, obviously if it's cold, then there is a few degrees of extra warmth from sleeping inside a, a shelter. And I think it's the placebo effect. Like, you know, you're inside your little tent. So it immediately therefore feels warmer than cowboy camping. Yeah, yeah I'm, a, I'm a fan of cowboy camping. It just has to be the right situation. Mm -hmm. So was there anything you took on your trip uh, out west that you kind of shed or figured out, like, as we went on, uh, we don't really need this? Yeah, the, the, the micro spikes and the, the uh, ice axe, 
it felt like it was it was a really difficult thing to manage because we wanted to have them with us because when you need it you need it but if, like I'm, I'm trying to remember the specifics but i think we carried it say for the first week and didn't use it once so then we stashed it in uh town we kind of mailed ourselves a box with our with our um ice axes and stuff but then when we got rid of it then we needed it and then we got it back again and we didn't need it so it's one of those things we're always trying to like not carry stuff unless we have to but then um yeah it's, it's a bit of a frustrating situation but otherwise i think i pretty much finished with what i started with pretty much okay and you said overall it was a little over 400 miles yeah yeah, I don't know the exact count, but it was it was plus 400. Um, and I think we were hiking for something like 34 days-ish with a couple of zeros in there to, to rest and recover. And Yeah, I was yeah. going to ask how, like when you did those sections, if you were kind of taking off a little time between sections or just, just interlinking everything together, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean a lot of the trailheads that we were using to get down into towns it was like a pretty hard hitch or a pretty long journey down off the mountain into the the towns so usually we'd spend at least one night in town um depending on what time we got in during that day maybe take you know take the next morning off and then head back out in the afternoon or take a zero um it just really depended on the on the section but i think like having some rest in there is like very important um and it just takes time in town to, to to take care of all the logistical stuff to call home to do laundry to go to the grocery store to just rest for a few minutes yeah the jmt so the john muir trail and the high sierra trail both are well used and uh you're gonna run into multiple people they also have like permitting type uh things so how did the permit system work for you guys with what you were putting together did you have to have basic permits um what what was that yeah i'm, I'm trying to remember the specifics because it's a couple of years ago now but i think as i remember it we had to have um kind of an entry permit so we started in sequoia um and we had to have an entry permit but when we went into the ranger office and explained what we were doing they were like okay this is going to take a while so they kind of um sat with us and we went through what we were planning on doing and they're like okay you guys aren't messing around and obviously there was a lot of follow-up questions like do we know what we're doing like what's our previous experience um but of course we weren't really able to say you know we're going to be here on this night and here on this night we gave a rough estimate um but yeah i think they basically issued us a permit and then we were good um basically good good to go and just uh showed that you gotta like really give a lot of credit to the rangers out there for doing that i mean for making sure you know people do know what they're doing they're prepared they've done the due diligence because mm -hmm. it's the there's like you were saying some of these trailheads you're getting to weren't like easy easily accessible into towns and things so you gotta think the there's a pretty big you know risk component if you get hurt um one of you on the trail absolutely yeah and as you said like the the high sierra trail and the john muir trail does see a lot of foot traffic any time that we were down on those there were there were a lot of people but then when we you know diverged away and just started kind of hiking cross country we didn't see anyone like absolutely anyone 
And so the Sierra are pretty burly, like the talus is pretty intense and um, good few sections where it's, you, you really, really have to pay attention. So if you were to hurt yourself, it could be very difficult to get out of there. Um, I'm not a big fan of solo hiking. It's just not, it's not really my favorite thing to do. And even if I was, I don't know if I'd want to go and tackle something like that solo. Um, just having the reassurance of having a small group or even just a, you know, a hiking partner with you. It's not, it's not, not to be, uh, definitely not to be underestimated. Um, yeah. Did you guys have um, any type of emergency communication, you know, like Garmin or spot or something? Yeah, we did. I'm trying to think. I think we all had one. Yeah, all of us individually. Yeah, I had a spot messenger. Uh, my buddy Josh had an emergency beacon of some kind. I think Sonic did too. Um, because, of course, you might spread out a little bit and kind of you might be a mile or so behind each other. So I think having one each makes a lot of sense. Unless you're going to be really hiking as a tight group, then I think having one for yourself is a really good idea personally i didn't do i didn't do the at with one i didn't do the continental divide trail with one and now when i look back on it i'm like nah, it's not a huge financial investment to invest in something like that and i think the peace of mind I, I will never go on a more serious trip without one now and i definitely recommend them to people um so you were talking about maybe being uh, a little bit behind or ahead of each other did you guys have you know, points of like, hey, we want to make it here to camp or to take lunch, you know, and then just kind of do your own thing a little bit, you know, ebb and flow. Mm, yeah, pretty much ebb and flow. That's a good way of putting it. Um, we would kind of look at uh, where we needed to be that evening um, and just kind of say, okay, let's try and get there. Obviously, we know that, okay, we're going to be hiking from this town essentially to the next town that's x amount of miles so that's going to take us four or five days and so we've only got that amount of food with us so of course you need to be hitting your mileage otherwise you're going to run out of food um but from a from like a daily standpoint yeah we would kind of more or less do our own thing um of course we'd hang out as well and chat and and kind of you know do lunch together stuff like that but yeah just kind of let let it let it happen um, I think that's the nice thing about hiking in a small group that you can you can have the social element if you want it, but then you can also have that experience of kind of being out there alone, knowing that you've got a friend maybe in front of you or behind you for that reassurance, but you can still have that kind of immersive experience of being out in a wild place um, almost alone. It's been a couple of years right now. It was at 2019. So, so, yeah, you... so three years, yeah. Three years. So as you uh, look back, you know, what are some of the highlights of that trip that, you know, stayed with you now? Mm. There's a lot. There's a lot. And it, it's hard to say, for example, a specific area or a specific pass, but it's just the Sierra, Sierra is just incredibly beautiful. Like anyone that's hiked there can just attest to how beautiful it is and the way that the light moves in the sierra is like really really beautiful so sunsets um the way that the shadows and stuff move across the valleys and um it is very up and very down so you would kind of climb to the top of a pass put all this physical effort in 
wonder like why am i doing this this is like this is really hard but then you'd get to the top of the pass and you'd see the next valley and the next vista and it would all click like oh yeah this is why i'm this is why i'm doing this so i think just uh being immersed in that environment for like a month yeah pretty pretty special what was i guess you know you talked about the the uh, river crossing and how tough that was and um were there any you know things that you think about that yeah that these were the most challenging aspects of doing this type of trip what what would you say yeah definitely um i think the navigation could be considered like challenging for sure um but fortunately sonic and josh had done their done their research and and really planned our route quite well based on um, the routes themselves but then the actual just um, moving through those environments is just incredibly taxing because most of it is above 10,000 feet so it's just hard on the body very steep ups very steep downs um, moving through talus fields so these big loose talus fields that you walk through and the, the rocks are constantly shifting and then you would fall and have to pick yourself back up again and keep moving um, and there was a, there's a few spots like that, that like were very sketchy. Um, there's a section on the Kings Canyon high basin route. Um, and I think it's just labeled the avalanche shoot, but it's basically like a, a sheer drop. It's, it's more or less a cliff. Um, and we were doing it, um, kind of in the reverse direction. So we were actually going down it, um, going up maybe wouldn't have been as bad because you can kind of see where you need to go like i need to go up this thing but we were going down it and it was it was very scary like it was quite sketchy um just had to take it really really slow and kind of um reverse climb down a lot of the sections like trekking poles away using both hands paying a lot of attention um it was it was it was pretty rough <laughs> yeah yeah i was thinking when you were saying that like up is so much easier than going down on anything. I mean, that is, that is uh, people who haven't hiked think, oh yeah, just, you know, going down. But sometimes it's a lot harder going down. It, yeah, it really just depends. Of course, it's usually more, usually more physically taxing climbing up something, going up something. But um, if it's a kind of sketchy spot, then going up is preferable. Going down is, is quite intimidating. So what advice uh, would you give others um, if they were trying to put something like this together? It's mm. a good question. Um, I would definitely just say that like, it's probably not a good thing to tackle unless you're pretty experienced and you, you have that um, kind of background. Um, I'd already done the AT and the CDT and, and some other trips kind of like that. So I felt reasonably well prepared going into it, but it was still like the hardest thing I've ever done um, from a hiking standpoint. So not to fear monger or try and put people off, but just, just respect it. Absolutely respect it. Um, do your research, be in good physical shape, know what gear you need. Um, yeah, just treat it with respect, I would say. Yeah, that's a good word. To, to mm -hmm. when you talk about the outdoors and in places like that yeah yeah <laughs> that, I mean, that that respect applies to so many different things right like how do we 
you know, take care of those places, not abuse them, not overuse them, those kinds of things. Yeah. So you were talking uh, earlier about, you know, shooting video and uh, taking all the camera equipment with you. So uh, tell me a little more about what you do with that. Yeah. So the California trip, actually, the Sierra trip, uh, that actually has become my first feature film. Um, so it's been a real labor of love. Um, but we're actually tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow we're going into the mixing studio uh, to mix the final version of the film. It's uh, yeah, it's been a long process. Obviously, the hope hike was in 2019. Um, but yeah, um, working with a bunch of really cool brands in the, the outdoor world and some professionals here in Helsinki um, for got like original music and uh, like professional colorist, prof- professional sound designer. Um, so wrapping that up this week and then entering it into a bunch of like adventure film festivals towards the end of this year and into 2022. So that's, yeah, super exciting. I've always been a huge film nerd and, and, and kind of this is my first foray into kind of the um, cinematic world. Um, I've been doing YouTube um, pretty consistently for the past five years. Um, and then I just got back from Iceland. So me and Josh Cheesebeard, who was on the Sierra trip, we just got back from Iceland in the summer. We hiked across Iceland. Um, so I've got, I think, 500 gigabytes of footage from that trip that I'm working through right now. Um, and the plan is to do a essentially a YouTube series that kind of documents a hike across across Iceland. So oh, cool. video is video is my yeah i love it all i enjoy photography and i enjoy writing but video is where it's at for me so so uh you said you're gonna you know put it out to the film festivals and things mm-hmm. um so will there be an opportunity uh here in the u.s uh to catch it you think or anything that yet we we can think about or i mean i i hope so yeah, yeah hopefully okay. um so basically as soon as the film's kind of wrapped up um then i'll start submitting to the film festivals um and they usually um the festival circuit usually lasts a year because if you miss the opportunity kind of this year then you can do it the following year um so obviously fingers crossed it would be amazing to get into some festivals in the us and then i guess um post covid you know maybe i can head out and attend the festivals um and kind of present the film that would be a dream come true and then after the festival circuit who knows of course just impossible to know what's going to happen with the film but it will be available for general release at some point but not anytime soon the the iceland project will be actually um something that people can check out much sooner than the california film it's just a very different kind of uh procedure i guess okay yes and i'll put links to your youtube on on the show notes as well um so do you have a a working title for the movie yet or or... yeah 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 i've had a working title (laughs) more or less uh the range of light is the film so it's uh, i guess it's a play on words like john muir labeled the sierra the the range of light um, and then obviously it's a play on words in terms of like the light in the Sierra and photography and videography, basically just being about light. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's been, like I said, a real labor of love, but very, very exciting thing to be doing right now. 
So besides, uh, you know, the editing, which I've talked to, uh, you know, filmmakers before, and it is very intense. And, you know, for every minute of film, you're doing a lot. And you had mentioned the colorists and things like that. So, yeah, so definitely um, uh, much work that, you know, you're putting into this labor of love. But um, mm -hmm. what what are you doing um, other than that, are there any trails or any hikes um, that you're doing or have planned? I know COVID oh. puts a little bit of a, mm. you know, a barrier, but. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't done much uh, in 2020. Um, obviously, that was when COVID was at its worst, at least here anyway. Um, but then we were able to do the Iceland trip this summer, um, which was just incredible. So I didn't want to do any hiking for like, a week when I got back from that trip but then after a week I was like okay what's next what's next um, but nothing big and long planned but in the end of December going into January I'm doing um, it's basically a ski touring trip in Finnish Lapland so you're on um, kind of cross-country skis pulling a sled behind you with all your equipment um, it's going to be like minus 30 with probably like a meter of snow so it's 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 basically like an, an Arctic adventure, um, going with a friend um, for like a week or so. There's going to be like four hours of daylight because basically the sun never sun never rises at that time of year. So yeah, it's a great thing to be doing yeah. over the holiday period. But I'm excited about it. A bit nervous, but excited. So. Um... Uh, are you gonna take your equipment with you, and you gotta think of the cold. So, uh, are you are you thinking of how to? Oh, it's it's a yeah. whole other world. Yeah. It's a whole other world. You can't, you know, a three season through hiking setup does not work in that environment. So, there's a you know, you're pulling a sledge, you have a harness, you have yeah. you have to have thermos bottles because your water freezes in you know a matter of minutes. You have like a bomber four season tent everything's heavy giant sleeping bag giant down jacket so it's it's a lot of equipment and a lot to think about and it's not something that you can undertake lightly because it's minus 30 <laughs> it's very very cold so you can't... i look forward to seeing uh, what comes out of that and uh, after you you go uh, that's it. <laughs> so i really appreciate the time you've spent with me this morning and sharing uh, your story about going out west and I think uh, enlightening all of us on you know what it's really like out there and and the beauty that uh, you know Absolutely. hopefully everyone gets to see yeah yeah it's been a pleasure um, I think I read that you're like one of your whole aims with the podcast is to inspire people to go mm -hmm. out and have adventures and that's that's I, that really resonates with me as well um, and it isn't that like everyone needs to go out and have a hardcore crazy experience to appreciate these places but if someone draws some inspiration from this conversation then awesome i'm glad i could happily go another hour i think <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well i'm sure um when you get to release the the film i would love to have you back to talk more about that and uh and Definitely. anytime the invitation is open awesome yeah i've had fun so I just want to say thank you for listening today and thank you for being a listener of Hike. This is the last episode of the first half of season five and I will now be on hiatus for a few weeks as I recharge and also 
start interviewing new guests again. Keep an eye on my social media and you will see more about when the second half of season five will be released. I also have to say that I'm very thankful for my patrons this year. And if you are interested in supporting Hike and helping keep this independent podcast going, please look in the show notes or you can head over to my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash the hike podcast. Also feel free to reach out at the hike podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And you can email me hikepodcast at gmail.com. I'm wishing you and yours a very happy holiday. So until next time, see you on the trail. <laughs>